welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us bad. My name is Bill. This is episode 236. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Here with me as always is, well, not always, he's been absent the last couple of weeks. Hi, Henry. Hi. He's back. I'm not sure why. He probably wants something. But uh, regardless, we're happy to have him here. What's new, Henry? Nothing. Yeah? What have you been doing? I know you've been drawing. You're working on a comic book now, I think, right? Yeah. So we will keep you updated as that proceeds. As always, we still have artwork to put up on the Instagram that we just never seem to get around to putting up. But uh, maybe we'll get that done sometime, too. I'm not going to promise anymore because uh, that never seems to go through. But if you go look at the Instagram, there's already some artwork up there. If any of that tickles your fancy, we would be happy to sell you some. And if you have any commission jobs, you know, anything uh, unique that you would like him to try and draw, if it's a reasonable request, we can probably make that happen too. Just contact us in one of the various ways that you're able to do that, which we'll talk about at the end of the show. What else? Let's see. I'm recording this on Sunday, the 26th of July. Legend uh, John Lewis is being uh, driven across the Edmund Pettus Bridge today. In a year of seemingly endless notable historical events, this is one of the largest, of course. 2020 is just a very interesting time to be alive. Uh, I am curious in 10, 20, 30 years when Henry's studying history, what is going to be recorded about this year. I'll be really old by then, so I won't remember any of it anyway. But uh, I wonder what life will be like for him at that point. All right. I have no Atari-related news or news related to me. Um, I did do a new record album yesterday. Peanuts Greatest Hits, Geraldi tunes, some of the the most legendary ones from the various Peanuts television and film efforts. I listened to a lot, listened to that a lot yesterday. As I was, oh, as I was, here's news, as I was working on the new short story book. Uh, I'm finally making some progress. I'm putting the book together. A smattering of some of the short stories you've heard on the show. Of course, I did Misery Banana last year. Now, this is a new collection, all new, meaning stories that didn't appear in Misery Banana could have appeared on this podcast, uh, at least in some form. Some of the stories have gotten a little polish up, maybe a change in title, that kind of thing. And that book, I think now, will be out this fall sometime. Don't know the exact date yet, but of course I will keep you notified. All right, well, that's about all the interesting stuff I know. There's absolutely nothing else going on in the world right now. Hey, Future Bill here. After I finished recording this episode... I noticed a tweet from Dave at Champion Klein the Night Rider years, which is at Night Rider Pod on Twitter if you'd like to go follow them, which you should, and you should be listening to that show. He was responding to my comments in episode 235, Frog Pond, where I sort of had a, a thought exercise to sort of play out audibly, where I wondered what sort of masks would the Peanuts characters wear to school, and he had ideas. So here's what he thought. Charlie Brown would have a plain white torn t-shirt. Linus would use his blanket. Lucy would have queen's crowns covering her masks. Schroeder would have music notes on one side and Beethoven on the other side. Pigpen would be caked in mud. I think those are all good suggestions. I'm not sure about Charlie Brown and the torn, uh, plain white torn t-shirt. I can totally picture him trying to use a t-shirt and failing. I guess I'm picturing more the, uh, I had a little trouble with the scissors bit from the Great Pumpkin where he just ends up with a mask with a bunch of holes in it, 
which, of course, totally negates the usefulness of the mask. I guess maybe he has a lot of torn t-shirts laying around, right, from all the times he gets uh, knocked out with line drives or uh, tangled in the kite-eating tree or whatever, so I guess that's possible. All the other ones look good. Linus totally would use his blanket. That makes perfect sense. Lucy, of course, would have crowns, uh, you know, stamped all over her masks. Schroeder, that makes sense. The caked mug, mud for Pigpen. I'm guessing the mud he has on him already, it provides some sort of a barrier, right? He's, you know, people talk about herd immunity from, uh, you know, from diseases. Pigpen is sort of a, a walking, breathing herd immunity. I would guess every, you know, toxic substance known to man has come in contact with his skin at some point and he seems to be fine so he might be the exception that proves the rule i I don't know so good thoughts dave appreciate that if anyone else has thoughts about what the peanuts kids would wear for masks this isn't a peanut podcast but uh, go ahead and share them here if you would like to share them with a peanuts podcast here's a chance to do a plug for my other show it's a podcast charlie brown where i talked about stuff like this all the time so if that's your thing, go check that out. Thanks. Back to the rest of whatever I said in this episode. So let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is Frontline from Coleco, 1984. For those of you tuning into the podcast this week, expecting to hear a deep analysis of the public broadcasting service TV show Frontline, that originally debuted in 1983, narrated by Will Lyman. I'm terribly sorry. That's not what we're going to talk about. Sorry, Henry. That's not what we're doing this week. Instead, we're doing a game where you uh, drive tanks and blow stuff up. I guess that's okay, too. Frontline, we're told in the manual, is for use with the Gemini Atari 2600 VCS and other compatible game systems. Select from four skill levels. Play against the computer or another player four, one, or two players. It will take all the skill you've got to fight the battle that wins the war. I'm a little intimidated, frankly, now. It's dangerous. It's mean. It's war. And now you are there. Your mission? Invade enemy territory and knock out the fortress. To do it, you'll have to travel over tricky terrain and fight against overwhelming odds at every step. Evade attacks. Search and destroy lumbering tanks. Storm the river bridge to face your most difficult challenge. The enemy fort. You must demolish it or die. And if you succeed, a new assignment is yours on another front against a more experienced army. So that's what you get for success. You get even more problems. That's kind of like life. There's no rest, no relaxation, no letting down your guard. You're in the army now. So how do you start? Well, you insert the cartridge. Or in our case, you turn on the Flashback 9 in our continuing quest to play all of the Flashback 9 in alphabetical order. In the section of the manual called Here's How to Play, they tell you how to play. When the war begins, the player up and the number of soldiers remaining appear in the upper portion of the battlefield. After a few seconds, they are replaced by a number indicating your score. On the road, your goal is to invade the enemy territory and destroy their fort. When the action begins, you're a humble foot soldier out on the road, armed only with a loaded pistol and anti-tank missiles. Use the control stick to move up the road and closer to the enemy fort. I wonder, throughout the manual, they use the phrase control stick instead of joystick. I wonder if this is a reflection of the fact that you know, like it said on the front cover, this game was for use with various systems, and not all of them called the thing a joystick, I suppose. That's just an Atari thing, I guess. I don't know. But I gotta be honest, control stick just sounds weird. As you dash up the roadway, the enemy is close at hand. Use the control stick to direct your aim, then press the play action button 
that sounds dumb too. Everyone knows it's supposed to say, press the, uh, hold the joystick with the red fire button in the upper left corner position, and then press it. Those clumps of trees supply plenty of shade, but sometimes they only get in your way. As Henry pointed out, the enemies can shoot you through the trees. You cannot shoot them through the trees. So the trees, really not much help. If you get stuck behind one, which I did a lot, you'll see in the field report, you'll have to maneuver carefully to get through or move in the opposite direction to free yourself. And remember, you can't shoot bullets or fire anti-tank missiles through the trees. Whew, you made it to the end of the road, but your enemies won't give up that easily. See what new tactics they have in store as you fight your way through the brush. The bad news? That dense underbrush will slow your movement if you don't steer clear. The good news? Your enemies won't be able to travel through it very quickly either. But they can get through it. That's the problem. Hold the controller with the play action button to your upper left. There you go. That's what I was looking for. They have a graphic here with the Atari joystick and the Gemini controller. Uh, they show you helpfully where the play action button is. Um, use the control stick for strategic maneuvers. Press it in any direction to march your foot soldier in that direction. Press the stick to aim your weapon. Moving soldier fires in the direction you're marching. By momentarily tapping the control stick when the soldier is standing still, you can also change the direction of his fire without moving him. When your soldier is driving a tank, press the control stick in any direction to advance the tank in the selected direction. Henry and I didn't play this much this morning. As reflected in the fuel report, we got as far as where the tanks start showing up. Um, all I ever got to do was blow one up. I did not actually get to ride around in one. Uh, so I can't really speak to how that works. Um, I will probably go back and play the game some more later, just so I can see how that is. But, you know, recording schedules being what they are, I didn't have uh, a chance to do that before recording today. Press the control stick to aim the tank's turret. A rolling tank fires in the direction it is moving. By momentarily tapping the control stick when the tank is standing still, you can also change the direction of its fire without moving the tank. Press the control stick to put your battle-weary soldier at ease. Press the button to fire your weapon while pressing the control stick to aim the fire. When you're an infantryman, press the button to fire the bullet at enemy infantry or to fire an anti-tank missile at enemy tanks. Some of this is sort of intuitive, right? If you ever played a video game, you kind of know how some of this works. When you're in a light tank, press the button to spray machine gun fire at enemy tanks. When you're in a heavy tank, press the button to fire at cannon, a cannon shot at enemy tanks. To fire your weapon in the same direction as previously fired, release the control stick and press the play action button. To jump into a tank, press the button while you are touching the tank and the control stick is in neutral. Jump out by pressing and holding the button until your soldier leaves the tank. The very last thing I was able to do in the field report was approach a tank and I was going to touch it, but then I died. Press game reset to start the game, obviously. Difficulty switches, switches are not used in this game. Fight with fire, all is not well when your enemies start to retreat. They'll be back in no time at all, protected by tanks. Keep in mind that lumbering heavy tanks move very slowly, but light tanks are faster. You locate an abandoned tank just in time. Hold in, hold in the play action button to jump inside. Now you'll have better weapons to use in the enemy. To leave the tank, simply hold the button until your soldier jumps out. I'm looking at these graphics here of some of the maps. I see zero difference between the enemy light tank and the enemy heavy tank. That's the one that I'm showing it to Henry. Can you see in the back? All right. So that is labeled enemy light tank. I think the heavy tank is bigger. Is it bigger? Mm. And the heavy tank has this thing and the light tank has that thing. Yeah, but over here, they've got one called enemy heavy tank that looks just like that one. Mm. I mean, you're right. On this one graphic, they have uh, enemy light tank and enemy heavy tank, and, and the enemy heavy tank actually does look a little different. The turret looks different. But then on the next graphic, 
They've got one labeled enemy heavy tank, which I swear looks exactly like the enemy light tank on the first graphic. I'm confused. Anyway, moving on. If your tank is hit, it will shake for a few seconds before it explodes. Briefly press the play action button to jump out in a hurry. The heat is on. When you finally make it through the tangled brush, you're getting closer to the enemy's fort, but you've still got a long way to go. This time, the battle will be waged over burning desert sands. Oh man, I had some burning desert sands once. It wasn't pleasant. You need to go see a dermatologist. The heat is bad, but those rocks jumping out of the sand are even worse. What? If you keep at it enough, you'll be able to pass over them, but you'll be wisest to move or maneuver around them and don't even try shooting through them. What would a desert be without cactuses? I think that's actually supposed to be cacti. Thank you very much. This particular desert has plenty, so watch out. If you run into any, parentheses, ouch, close parentheses, you'll have to back out again. Down by the river. There it is, the river at the end of the desert. Use the control stick to safely cross the bridge. Once across the bridge, you're confronted with a dangerous obstacle course designed to keep you from reaching the enemy's fort. Those ruined walls provide cover from enemy fire, but they're tough to get around and even tougher to get over. Now the trouble really starts. You're close enough to fire on the fort, but if you're in a tank, you must jump out and fire an anti-tank missile. Meanwhile, enemy tanks roll on. Congratulations. You've succeeded in destroying the enemy fort. Your reward? Transfer to another front to fight against an even more experienced enemy at the next highest skill level, up to skill 4. You won the battle, will you win the war? And that tells you how to start over, which is pretty intuitive. You earn 100 points for every enemy eliminated. When you complete a round by destroying the fort, you receive an additional 1,000 points times the number of skill levels just completed. You start the game with 5 friendly soldiers and receive a bonus soldier after you complete a round up to a maximum of 5 soldiers in all. And then they give themselves an out. These inst this instruction booklet provides the basic information you'll need to start playing Frontline, but it's only the beginning. You'll find that the cartridge combines special features that make Frontline exciting every time you play. Experiment with different strategies and enjoy the game. Which, by the way, comes with a 90-day limited warrant. And that is how you play Frontline! It is also, coincidentally, how I watch Frontline on PBS. We've had to redecorate the house a number of times. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast. All about life lessons, growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K, podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. When I think about Frontline, all I can think about is this game I used to play in the arcade where you would move through the jungle and you would jump in and out of tanks and blow stuff up. I don't think it was this game, but it's all I can think about. Was it called, is the one I'm thinking of, like, you know what I'm thinking of, called Tank Plus, maybe? No, that's dumb. That's, that's one of the Atari games. I don't know what it was called, but it's all I can think about when I think of this game. 
but I'm pretty sure it wasn't called Frontline. So Frontline, the arcade game, was released by Taito for arcades in 1982, one of the first video games to feature a ground combat theme and grenades, a precursor to many similarly themed games of the mid to late 80s. The original version of Frontline was controlled with a joystick, a single button, and a rotary dial that can be pushed in like a button. Single button is used to throw grenades and, enter and exit tanks, while the rotary dial controls and fires the player's gun. Maybe this is the game I was thinking of. Uh -huh. The game was created by Tetsui Sasaki, influenced by Space Invaders and Galaga. 1985's Ikari Warriors follows the conventions established by Frontline, including the vertically scrolling levels, entering exiting tanks, and not dying when an occupied tank is destroyed. Maybe that's the game I'm thinking of. I don't know. It's going to bug me. Following its release in the coin-op arcade platform, the game was ported to the ColecoVision and PC-8801 and Sharp X-1 computers in 1983, the Atari 2600 and MSX in 1982, and the FM7 and Nintendo Famicom in 1985. The Famicom version was Taito's first game for the console. In Japan, Game Machine listed Frontline on their June 1, 1983 issues being the 20th most successful table arcade unit of the year. In 1983, Arcade Awards Frontline was a front runner-up for Coin-Op Game of the Year behind Pole Position. The award was given by Electronic Games, which stated that, quote, this arcade approach to the dirty business of infantry combat forces the player to keep moving and firing constantly, close quote, and the, quote, action is non-stop in this attractive shoot-em-up. RetroGamesReview.co.uk observes that the gameplay has a few quirks, some of which are a nuisance and others that you can use to your advantage. For example, while attempting to traverse the environment, you'll frequently find yourself getting stuck on parts of the scenery and annoyingly having to wriggle out. On the other hand, the limitation of only two enemies being visible on screen simultaneously is beneficial, especially as one opponent prefers to enter from the rear, allowing you to craftily leave him trailing behind you. The shifting scenery keeps you constantly engaged, and the vehicle types are different enough to have a real impact on the gameplay. Losing your tank and having to move on foot during the treacherous rock section is equal parts terrifying and exhilarating. And it's this test of survival that creates huge satisfaction when you do manage to advance to the next area. Frontline is a bit rough around the edges and perhaps doesn't make the best first impression, but underneath its unpolished exterior is a very addictive game. It's also way ahead of its time and it's clear to see how this intense run-and-gun gameplay influenced feature arcade titles such as Commando and Akari Warriors. Maybe it was Commando that I'm thinking of. I don't know. Woodrain Wonderland said, I've never played the arcade version, but this port by Coleco is a lot of fun. The shooting dynamic is similar to Berserk. You have to shoot the enemies as quickly as possible or risk them, risk them getting a bead on you. The real fun starts when you get a chance to hop in a tank and fight some pretty fast-paced battles against your en enemy tanks. Game features four difficulty variations, etc., etc. My main quibble is the graphics. I'm generally pretty lenient when it comes to 2600 graphics until they actually interfere with gameplay. It took me some time, for example, to figure out that the random blue boxes turn into tanks when you touch them and press the fire button. Random blue boxes? They didn't really look like that to me, but anyway. Uh, he, uh, reviewer says, I'm also not a fan of the various trees and hedges which slow you down. I don't think anyone is, frankly. Although they can be useful to hide behind. Overall, a pretty good effort from a company that didn't always put their all into the 2600 ports. Grade B-. minus. Alright, well, after the break... Move out, soldier. March, maggot. Grab a seltzer and some low-fat Oreos on your way out. Alright, we're going to play some Frontline. Here's the Atari flashback menu screen. 
place like a good soldier. Oh man. At least I took him with me. Why did Brazen start? Chill out. I'm stuck in the trees. Maybe I had to pee. What the heck? I can't get out of the trees. Watching an old MacGyver the other day. And Pete Thornton told MacGyver their old slogan. If you have to go, take one with you. Sort of a dark thought for MacGyver, but I gotta tell you these soldiers remind me more of Civil War soldiers. Your guy looks like a Union soldier, the other guys look like Confederate soldiers. Confederacy being a very hot political topic right now. Thankfully, no Confederate flags in this game. I like the look of it, other than that. Soldiers are very, you know, your little pixelated guys, whatever, are very realistic, more or less, looking, you know, early 80s. When you, when you, when you die, when you die, there's a little red square where your head should be. Is there? Yeah, there's a I was just, I was noticing how your guy doesn't just disappear, he just sort of crumples. That's a bit more, you know, dark, but realistic. Can't shoot through the trees. I keep getting stuck on the trees, though. I have no idea what skill level this is. I assume this is the easiest level. No tanks yet. It's not fair. It's not fair that the other, that the enemy can go through the trees, and you can, but you can't shoot through the trees because they go in. Yeah, that's kind of crappy. trouble moving your guy through the trees, Henry? Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's not just me, then. Oh, you're right. Ew. That's kind of gross, dude. He blows your head off, and it's a big red square. That was the end of the game. I did not get to see any tanks, though. Alright. We'll go through it quickly once more to see if we can get to a tank. You get to the tank. When you, when you took the orange and yellow spot, you, that's when you get what should we do? Should we try and find the tank? Sure. Oops. That was just sloppy on my part. Thank you. Come on, guy. good even though you can't start to move around it. Go guy. There's an enemy behind you. Bullets don't oh, the bullets have like have like barely any range. Yeah. 
This is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer, the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. Hey, it's me, Bill, your host, the guy you've been listening to this whole episode. Do you enjoy the stories I write and read to you every week on this podcast, but you feel like you just need a break from my voice? I get it. My family does sometimes, too. Here's an option. Some of the stories from the show are now collected in a volume titled Misery Banana, very short stories inspired by old games and odd thoughts. You can order it wherever you like to order books. I hope you'll check it out. Thanks. So, here's the thing about Frontline. I kind of like this game. I played it very briefly this morning. Henry played a little bit as well. I would ask him what he thought of it, but as 11-year-olds are wont to do, he just sort of wandered away a few minutes ago. So, I think he was intrigued. I don't know that he loved it, but, I mean, I don't know that he loves any of these Atari games. So, you know, he didn't actively hate it. You know, as I've observed many times in the show so far, these soldiers really look like Civil War soldiers to me which makes it feel like a different game to me than maybe was intended. Um, Maybe the Confederacy is just on, you know, my mind at the moment, along with the other political issues of the day. Um, 
but I don't know. I thought that added an interesting dynamic that, as I say, probably wasn't intended, but there it is, at least for me. Getting tangled in the trees is annoying. I guess I could live with the uh, the enemy being able to shoot you through the trees even though you can't shoot them if it wasn't for the fact that you get so easily tangled up in the trees for no apparent reason. The foliage is dense, but it's not that dense. I'm a little sorry. It's, it's all on me, just not playing it enough this morning that I didn't get to try out driving the tank. I got to blow one up. That was kind of cool, but I have not yet tried to drive one. Maybe my review would be a little bit more uh, complete if I'd gotten to do that. Yeah, I, I have not yet saved a fort or any of that. Um, I've just messed around a little bit with it. I do see, now that it's pointed out, I do see the uh, Berserk vibe with the way, actually with the way you're, you're, the little blocks that make up your guys look a little bit like the robots. In Berserk, the movement's the same or very similar. The shooting, uh, you know, shooting at angles and stuff looks very much like Berserk, so I can totally see that now. And that adds a, another dimension to it as well. So I like that comparison. Based on the very little that I've seen, I would definitely recommend Frontline to anyone who listening who happens to have not played it. I assume most of you have. Um, but it was news to me. Now if only I, could, if I only I could figure out what that arcade game that I'm thinking of was. If any of you can read my mind, first of all, I'm terribly sorry. And secondly, if you can tell me what game I'm thinking of, that would be nice. It's story time on Atari Bytes. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story is titled, Constantly on the Frontline, So Damn Exhausting. Another effort from Bad Poetry Corner. Mm, With apologies to the Eagles for no reason whatsoever. He was a raging commie liberal. He thought he knew all the answers. And she was a neoconservative. She pissed him off and he tweeted her letters. As culture wars rained down from above. He had a nasty reputation. Lots of attitude. They said she was a conspiracist. Prone to self-delude. They had one thing in common. They were both scared of COVID. She'd say, only sheeps wear masks. He'd say, so many dead. Life on the front line. Pandemics or China or Russian espionage. Life on the front line. Politicians love nothing more than the game. We use social media against our enemies to take aim. They hated different people. They honed their sourdough skills. They protested intently. They made their thoughts known for good or for ill. She cheered Operation Legend. His friends were picked up. She pretended not to notice the op was really effed up. The world is at war, ripe for the fight. We're all too tired to sort it. We don't get it, but we fake it. Life on the front line. Going out of our way to hate mankind. Life on the front line. Protests and counter-protests, desperate to be heard. The reality gets lost. Everyone ready with an angry word. She said, listen sheep, you gotta face the facts. The mainstream media makes you pudding brains. Just look how people who don't look like me react. He said, racists and anti-vaxxers, slow your roll a bit. People should drive policy, not the anti-taxers. They were rushing toward an election, each begging for their person to win. They didn't care, just trying to get shots in. That's life on the front line. You could choose to laugh or cry. 
Probably both. That's life on the front line. So terribly sorry. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Thanks to Henry for being here for part of the show and being my videographer for the field report. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and TomPatech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the storytime theme. Roll your panzer across the no-man's land that is Apple Podcasts and, uh, bazooka five-star review of the podcast all over the landscape. Or something. Email the show at AtariBytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at AtariBytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And then, look us up on Instagram. Don't forget, you can call us. You can leave a voicemail message, because we're not going to answer the phone. Just call 563-265-1978. I'm waiting to hear from you. Yep, that's all I'm doing today. Just sitting by the uh, Google, waiting for a notification that you've called me. If I waste away from not eating, or explode from not peeing, or something... It's on your head, because you did not leave me a voicemail so that I could walk away from the phone. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com. What are you going to find there? Stuff. Specifically, episode links, show notes, social media, info about this podcast, Atari Bytes, and my other show, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown, which is a monthly ode to all things related to the Peanuts comic strip. you also find information about books that I've written, like... Misery Banana, very short stories inspired by old games, not thoughts, and links to some, but not all, of the places that you can order that book. And then there's some information about other stuff that I've done as well. Please consider supporting the show financially by making a donation on the Atari Bytes Patreon page. What are you going to find there? Stuff. Like, for example, um, you can get access to episodes early. You typically don't have to wait a whole week to hear me again if you're a Patreon supporter. You can at the $2 or $3 level, you can get those episodes early. You can also, at the $3 level, get bonus content. Like, for example, reviews of some of the episodes of Pac-Man the Ghostly Adventures, a very strange cartoon series. I keep promising we're going to do another episode of that, and we will sometime. You can also get video of the field reports. We've started doing that recently. It's kind of fun. The videos are awful. We are not experienced videographers, so they're not great but you can get a peek at what we're actually seeing when we play the field reports. That's kind of fun. So if you subscribe to the Patreon, that could be yours. And then, you know, who knows what else is up there. We've done some other things in the past as bonus content, and I'm sure we'll do other interesting things in the future. If you are a Patreon supporter, you can be one of the cool kids like Michael Tyler, Jose Gazeta, Sean Courtney, and Aerospike. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, your support is greatly appreciated. Oh, hey, before we go, I want to mention a thing that I worked on. There's a podcast out there called Invisible Zeppelin, produced by my friend Nat Gertler of AboutComics.com, which you should check out for a lot of great books and comics and so forth. Invisible Zeppelin is a weekly series, an audio sitcom, I think is how he's referring to it, centered on the employees of a call center 
stationed on an invisible zeppelin, handling calls, fielding calls from the public, seeking the help of superheroes. A group of superheroes specifically called the Star Sentinels. It's a fun show. You should check it out. Um, There have been four episodes so far, as I'm recording this episode of this podcast, on July 26th. The fifth episode comes out this coming Wednesday. So for you, if you're listening to this on the Sunday that this episode comes out, episode number five of Invisible Zeppelin has been out for a few days. And why am I telling you this? Well, because I wrote it. Nat was nice enough to invite me to write an episode, and I jumped at the chance to do that. I don't know what it's called. When I wrote it, it was called 1 plus 1 equals 3 headaches. Um, But, you know, as things go through production, sometimes the title gets changed. So I'm not positive if that's the final title, but it is episode number 5. If you go looking for it, you don't have to have listened to episodes 1 through 4, but they're pretty short episodes. Um, anywhere from, I think one of them is even like seven or eight minutes all the way up to maybe 20. Uh, so it's easy to get caught up, get familiar with the characters so far. It's a funny show. It's a quirky show. It's a little bit like, uh, an audio version of The Office or Parks and Rec, but with superheroes. So, you know, if you want to make something better, add a superhero. It was fun to do. I hope you'll check it out. I hope you'll continue to listen to Invisible Zeppelin. Um, certainly let me know what you thought of the episode, but more importantly, let a Nat Gertler know what you thought of the episode by leaving a review on uh, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and uh, tell all your friends. Invisible Zeppelin. Thanks. All right, that's about it for this week, I think, other than to tell you what's coming up next week. So let's do that next time on Atari Bytes. Frostbite, which is a game I feel like I should have played before, on the podcast, but it appears that I have not. So I'm going to fix that by playing it next week. Offhand, sitting here right now, I don't know much about it, except that it feels like one that I've, the title of which I've heard a lot. I'm not sure why, but I am intrigued to find out and share my excitement or great disappointment with you. Or maybe just share my meh. Whichever reaction it is, we'll find out next week. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Thank you.